Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you here on this chilly day. How's it feel outside? Is it getting warmer than it was this morning? No? I got 28 degrees. Is that what it is outside? Does it feel like that? Eh. Well, glad you are here this morning. It's reasonably warm in here. If you're too cold, you can come join me at any point up on the stage. It's a lot hotter under these lights. Uh, that is fine. Enjoy. Uh, a couple of things I'd like to bring to our attention here this morning. For starters, uh, as you can see, our ladies uh, had their way with the stage this morning and did a wonderful job putting together another beautiful uh, Christmas decor. Whoever whistled must have been a husband to one of the ladies. Brownie points going on over there. Uh, other than that, thank you again, ladies, for that out here and, and in the foyer there. You can see a lot of their hard work uh, uh, over the course of this week. So we appreciate and thank you for uh, your time spent here. Uh, if you picked up one of our uh, FBC weeklies off of the Welcome Center, this information is on there. If not, I'm just going to highlight a couple of things for you. For starters, last Sunday was our Harvest Offering and I want to thank you so much for those of you that contributed to that uh, through the finances, but also more than even the finances for those that are contributing to this project uh, with uh, fervent prayer. Uh, because uh, the offering is needed, but also a lot of prayer is needed as well uh, for the folks that are going to be doing the Bible translations and getting this New Testament to the Pente uh, people. So uh, through your financial efforts, we were able to raise as of the time this was printed. All right, because more usually comes in after, maybe even today that would go towards it. But as of right now, $22,507.85. So thank you so much for your sacrificial giving uh, there. Uh, there are going to be millions upon millions of people who are going to be very appreciative uh, for your efforts there. Uh, as far as calendar is concerned, it is December, so there are a lot of things going on here at the church. And so I will highlight those. December the 11th uh, is next Sunday, right? 7 plus 4 is 11. All right, so choir uh, Christmas program will be here at 6 p.m. Next Sunday at 6 p.m. they'll be here presenting uh, a, a plethora of musical numbers for you to uh, enjoy and be ministered to in song. Uh, following that on Friday the 16th, we will have a Christmas carol. Christmas caroling taking place. So if uh, you are so led after watching the choir inspire you with their vocal talents that you want to go, and use your vocal or maybe not so vocal, but you have a good heart and will make a joyful noise, right? Uh, we would encourage you to please come on Friday at 6 o'clock the 16th to join us for uh, some Christmas caroling. And then on the 18th, two Sundays from now, the children's program will be here as well. They've been working uh, pretty hard getting their musical numbers and dialogue and all those things prepared and ready to go so that they can share uh, a different perspective or view of uh, the Christmas story than what we may hear in song, but uh, we can see it uh, dramatized for us in a very creative and uh, somewhat humorous fashion. Anytime you get a teenager that dresses up like a 70-year-old man, it can be funny, especially if that teenager's a 13-year-old girl dressing up like a 70-year-old man. It, it can be funny. So it'll be an enjoyable time. I'd encourage you to come, bring some family and friends to uh, be here for uh, two weeks from now, Sunday night. 
Other than, than that, let's switch quick to Wednesdays. Wednesday the 21st is the last day of school before Christmas break begins for Cairo. And uh, we will not have Awana that evening, all right? So Awana workers, the 21st and the 28th, uh, there will be no Awana, all right? Teens, the 28th, there's no youth group. But on the 21st, we will have our Christmas party. So if you skip out on the 21st, then you skip out on the Christmas party. So let that be your incentive to make sure that you are here on the 21st. Parents, please help me out with that. They are doing a white elephant gift exchange, and I tell them every year, make sure that that gift is wrapped, and it is not something that is alive or once was alive. Right? So we need to be careful with those things. It's important. Some of you, you're laughing, but you're thinking now, how can we get that deer head into a box? Mm-mm. All right. We have a Christmas Eve service on Christmas Eve, the 24th at 5 o'clock. Our worship service on Christmas Day at 11 o'clock, no Sunday school. And then uh, the uh, new year, January 1st, we'll have church as well at 11 o'clock with no Sunday school. All that information is right here. So please, I encourage you to either read emails or pick up one of uh, these off of the Welcome Center so that you can be prepared and ready for all that this December has for it. Is anybody else tired yet? All right, and we've just begun. So there's that. If you would, please, stand with me. Embrace yourself. This call to worship is lengthy. And I think Pastor Mark is chuckling as he is away on vacation because he selected this. Our call to worship this morning is a very familiar passage this time of year. It comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Hang in there. Here we go. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear." And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased." Our scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. That's page 573 in your pew Bible there. 573. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 reads this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that lie within it. And God, as we seek to unpack this prophecy that Isaiah gives to us in this text, may we have open ears to hear the things that you would have for us to hear. May we have receptive hearts to take in and apply to our lives the very things that we need to change and apply. God, I pray for myself through uh, this next half hour, God, that you would set me aside anything that is going on in my crazy brain right now, God. I pray that you would focus everything to speak your word and your truth today so that Chris Howard can decrease and Jesus Christ can increase this morning. God, be with us as we seek to discover what you have this morning. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If, if you have not turned there already, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. As you know, we are in the month of December, which means this is Advent season. And so we are beginning our Advent series this morning. Uh, with three messages to follow ending on the 25th, which happens to be Christmas Day. I don't know if I were to poll how many of you would say that you like it when Christmas falls on a Sunday and how many of you dislike it when Christmas falls on a Sunday. We could probably argue a few different reasons why, but, but I think that if we really think about it, what better day? to celebrate, celebrate Christmas than on the 25th of December, a Sunday, right? As we once again anticipate celebrating the coming of our, uh, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, 700 years ago, before Jesus' birth, is when this prophecy was spoken. So there wasn't even a Christmas yet. So for 700 years, Israel was adventing or anticipating Jesus' coming. And here we sit this morning also in a state of advent, don't we? Only rather than waiting for Jesus to come the first time, we're waiting for his return appearance. Amen? Are you looking forward to that day? Are you anticipating that day with joy and excitement? So as I said, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah foretold of a child who would be born, of a son who would be given, one who would rule the nations and sit upon the throne of David. As we go through uh, this text this morning, I'm going to focus on a couple of words in our passage here. And one of them is uh, this idea of the child, also of the son, and then we're going to look at Wonderful Counselor. So we're, we're going to look at four words specifically and unpack those a little bit as it relates to uh, historically the time in which Isaiah spoke it, but also how does that apply to us today? Isaiah identified both the humanity and the deity of the one who would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah has... 
uh, was speaking, of course, of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man who fulfilled Isaiah's prophecies at his birth, which we can read in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 and 23. Here in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah called this son by four divine titles. And that, those four divine titles are what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks today. Wonderful Counselor. And then over the next three weeks, we will get to Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. These four titles or names will serve as the subject of our message, uh, of Christ's message, frankly, this month, as each name describes an essential characteristic, God's Son, uh, of God's Son, and offers encouragement and hope to God's people. So as we look at the text this morning, let's start a little bit further down and look at that name, Wonderful Counselor, in chapter uh, 9, verse 6. And we'll take a first look at wonderful. What does this word wonderful mean? I, I could ask you the question, and, and you may be able to give me an example. Uh, I would probably say I, I can define wonderful in one word. Ready? Julie. Right? Right? But you know what? That's wrong. That's, that's not what, what God's talking about here. Brownie points? Yes? No? Okay. Wonderful. What does it actually mean? Okay, in our own minds, we assign definitions to so many words in Scripture and just assume that's what it means, and then that dictates what the rest of the passage means, and before you know it, we've got the Scripture all wrong. Been there? Wonderful. This word indicates something uncommon or out of the ordinary. It reflects a phenomenon lying outside of the realm of explanation. It describes something that can't be explained. Now, what's cool about this word in Scripture is that it's never used in Scripture to describe who man is or what man has done. But rather, it is only used to explain who God is and what God has done. It's a word that is reserved exclusively for God. So sorry, Julie, and other wives, if your husband wants to address you as wonderful, okay? As it relates to this passage that we're looking at right now, this is a word that is specifically uh, and only for God. Jesus is coming to do something wonderful for us. Jesus was coming to do something wonderful for them as Isaiah explains this prophecy to them. One commentator wrote it this way, talking about this idea of wonderful works that God is coming to do. He says, Redemption, which he has brought, surpasses even the creation of the world. It amounts to this, that the grace of God, which will be exhibited in Christ, exceeds all miracles. So here we have God coming. The Messiah is going to be coming, and he is wonderful. That means he's going to come uh, and do something incredibly out of this world. You won't be able to believe this. You think creation was something? <laughs> Just wait. Second name here is counselor. This means one who instructs or guides. 
A counselor does so out of a position of authority. The idea here is of a king counseling his people. So the reason for this second title is that the Redeemer, Jesus, the Messiah, will come endowed with absolute wisdom. Now again, we might look at ourselves and think that that we have a a certain measure of wisdom, right? You may look at at your wall and the degrees that you have accumulated, uh, whether you've finished your GED, your undergrad, your master's, your doctorate, or maybe you have a double or triple doctorate because you're just that smart. Well, you know what? Your wisdom is still finite. You will never, I will never reach this level of, as Isaiah is saying here, counselor to the level of what is being talked about right now. Jesus is coming with ultimate authority ultimate and absolute wisdom. And not because he knows all of his father's secrets, not that he knows, um, excuse me, not that he knows all of his father's secrets that Isaiah calls him counselor, but rather because preceding from the bosom of the father, John 1.18, he is in the very, is in every respect the highest and most perfect teacher. Now, We have a pretty fabulous lead pastor, I might say. He's not here, so I can say that, right? But you know what? As wonderful as we might think Pastor Mark is, he's not the best teacher. As wonderful as any previous pastor that this church has ever had, they may have been wonderful teachers. Wonderful, I just used the word. Worldly wonderful teachers, but not this godly level of wonderful, right? They may have been good teachers, Right? But, but they were not all wise. I was told once when I was younger by an older gentleman that uh, you can tell wisdom by the color of someone's hair. Right? You can determine what that means in your own mind. All right? But I learned that, hey, if I find somebody with white hair, I find somebody with wisdom because they have lived and they've learned and hopefully they have applied Right? That's why the hair is so white, because they've been trying to apply to a stressful life and situation. Right? I saw a picture the other day of myself. We were doing the church directory stuff, and I had to update ours. There's more gray in this than there was last time. That scares me. And I hope that there's some wisdom that has come over the last four or five years. But here, my wisdom is only going to be finite, but the wisdom that is being spoken of here as he's given this name, Counselor, is ultimate and absolute wisdom. In like manner, we are not permitted to get wisdom from anywhere else but the gospel. So if we're going to seek wisdom, seek after wisdom, as James says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Who are we asking for it? Who are we asking it from? Speak up, folks. God, right? Here enters into the picture God, Jesus, the character of of absolute wisdom. Where else would I go? Where else should I go? We've got the perfect example of wisdom in the person of Jesus. And this contributes also to the the praise of the gospel, for it contains the perfect wisdom of God, as Paul so frequently shows us in his writing. You can look at 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 30, Ephesians 1, 17, or Colossians 1, 9, just to name a few examples. Now with that being said, 
I'd like to offer a few keys for us to understanding the prophecy that Isaiah gives to the Hebrew people here. Now often, when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, we we read this passage, or even Luke 2 as we were reading uh, our call to worship passage, when do we usually hear those verses? Right? It tends to, to, to be, I don't want to say always, but almost always seems that whenever we get around to reading and hearing those verses, uh, look at the calendar, it's going to be late November into December. Well, let's understand a little something about what is going on in the life of the Hebrew people here when this was actually given to them as a prophecy. Because as I had mentioned before, this was 700 years before Christ was even born. All right? So what is going on? In, in a, I'm taking a, a master's class in Old Testament uh, right now, and one of the things that is really just hammered on us as we are going through this Old Testament and being able to interpret and understand it is looking at the actual uh, historical context that it's in, looking at the author that actually wrote it, the time frame of when they wrote it, uh, the audience to whom it was specifically written at the time, which then opens up a whole new world for us to truly understanding the Old Testament. So rather than looking at this verse through uh, Christmas trees and snow and nativity scenes, let's look at this from the perspective of Israel themselves. So this, the, the first point, I think I put some points up there, did I? Hot diggity. The first one, this prophecy is revealed in a time of great despair. That's what's going on right now when Isaiah shares this prophecy with Israel. By and large, the text seems to only be read and and showcased at Christmas, as I mentioned, but let's recognize the audience of this text and the historical context. This prophecy or promise was made 700 years before Christ was born. There is an emotional state of doom and gloom in the hearts of God's people. They are in a state of desperation as the Assyrian invasion is imminent. So think about it for a minute right now. If we're sitting here together in this church, hearing from God's word, but knowing that outside of our doors, there is an army that hates God and wants to destroy you. And they're getting ready to storm through our doors. Jerry, we love you. We're glad that you're out there to keep us safe. But even you, my friend, are not going to stop this invasion that's what's outside the doors. Does, does, does that change your, your, your demeanor right now? The honest people in the room will say yes, right? That changes things. That is the state of the people as this prophecy is given. Even King Ahaz was worried of what was to come. Let's take a look back at Isaiah chapter 8, verses 21 and 22 to give us just a little picture. It says this. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their face upward. But they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the doom of, or the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That does not sound like a hallmark scene, right? Not at all. It's in the midst of this backdrop that Isaiah is called to share this message. And this message is actually one of hope. 
Oftentimes when we look through the Old Testament, we look at prophecies. Prophecies are are given uh, as messages of hope. And other times prophets were called to convey a word of warning. Right? The prophets were given warning. I can think of uh, in is it, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Fact check me. Right? This is where Samuel tells Israel, as they say, we want a king for ourselves like every other nation. Give us a king. Uh, and, and we need, eventually they're like, give us Saul as our king. What does Samuel do? He goes before God and, and he, he begs God for, for wisdom here on what to say and do because Samuel knows this is not the good choice. And so here comes the prophecy of warning, and you see in that text that Samuel lays out, if we do this, if we give you this king, if I anoint the king that you're asking for, this is what life is going to be like. Now, wouldn't you like to be faced with a decision and put in the DVD or hit play on the YouTube channel of your life of what is going to happen so that you can watch it, see the fallout, and then make a wise decision, right? But that's not how this works. That's not how our life works. But in this day, that is how the prophecies went. And in this case, this is a message of hope. So in the midst of this doom and gloom, they are given a message of hope. Jump uh, back into chapter 9, verse uh, 2 with me, please. It says, The people who walked in darkness have now seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when the divine, or when they divide the spoils. So here, the prophecy is beginning to unfold. And do you hear the, you hear the change in tone? The gloomy, doomy darkness just switched to a bunch of joy and rejoicing? They realize that even though in the midst of their circumstance and situation, even though they know that outside those doors is the Assyrian army who is just salivating, ready to to come in and invade them, they're rejoicing. Why would they be rejoicing with that as their future? Because an even greater future awaits them beyond that. They realize that it may be difficult now. Life may be difficult now, but good things are coming. Can you relate with that? Absolutely. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be overwhelmed by situations, circumstances. It's, it's the holiday season. Thanksgiving has just happened, so maybe you're breathing a little sigh of relief because uh, the, the things that you're re- responsible for at Thanksgiving are done, but now you're looking down the barrel of Christmas, right? And you know that you have to have all of these things put together and ready to go, and, and you're just stressing out right now. I relate to that. This week is finals week. Pray for me. Okay? It happens. We have things that are just weighing us down. Maybe you're sitting here and and this is your first uh, season of holiday with with, uh, lost loved ones. We have the opportunity with with our program that you folks uh, do of being able to have uh, those that have lost loved ones to come in and and share the the grief share, share in a time of grief, right? And they had a, a wonderful dinner and program put together for them so that you can realize that you're not alone. You're not alone, but maybe you are sitting here with all these people and you feel lonely. There's good news for you here. 
God speaks to us in the midst of our despair and brings us hope. We see it right here in the prophecy. They are in the midst of despair, and what does God do? He brings a message of hope for his people. And folks, Jesus Christ is that message of hope for you and for me today as we await his second coming. Amen? That's the first part. Second, reveals this prophecy reveals the Messiah's humanity. So we see in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. So two different things. The first part shows his humanity. We need to understand who the Messiah is. So for, for to us a child is born, Israel was awaiting their Messiah, and they knew that he would be human. This matters because it shows that he can relate to us. You can relate to Israel and their state of doom and gloom. And you know what? This prophecy comes to show that, that Jesus is coming as, as a human being so that he can relate to us, so that he can know what you're going through. He can feel the things that you feel. Teens, have you ever looked at your parents when they tell you something and you're like, you have no idea what I'm feeling. You have no idea what I'm going through. Ever done that? Ever said that? I have. Jesus came in part, so we can't say that. We can't say he doesn't understand. He does understand. Jesus has felt the things that we feel. He felt joy, sorrow, hunger, fatigue. Jesus understands us. Now, we need to also recognize that this is a very humiliating act on God's part. For Jesus to humble himself, to become human, and even take the place, uh, or takes this place of a servant the lowest position. Think about the announcement of his birth also. We read that in, in uh, Luke chapter 2. Think about how he was announced. Who were the recipients of this announcement? Shepherds, right? Shepherds. Servants. Okay? And if you think about it, they're, they're kind of the... Grosser, smellier, stinkier people because they spend all that time with animals, dealing with animals. Anybody here work with animals? Have farms, things like that, right? What's your favorite thing to do after you get done working with all those animals? I know the answer. Shower. Right? Get clean. So here we have some, some dirty, kind of viewed as low on the, the successful totem pole, so to speak. And this is where that message is being sent. Why wasn't it the religious leaders? Why wasn't it somebody higher up the so-called food chain? The message of Christmas or the gospel is not that we somehow work our way to God, but that he has come to us. Let me say that again. The message of the gospel of Christmas is not that we somehow work our way to God, but that he has come to us. What's the difference between religion and Christianity, some might ask? Or is there a difference? Well, the difference is quite large, actually, the difference between religion and Christianity. Man's attempt to work their way to God is religion. Man's attempt to work their way to God. Work to somehow earn or merit God's acceptance. The key word being work, which you can find in Paul's writing a lot about works-based salvation and faith-based salvation, right? 
But the key word in Christianity is not work, but rather grace. The gospel message is not that we work our way to God, but that God has come to us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us that his grace, his mercy, his great love being, uh, is what is responsible, not us. In his grace, God accepts us as we come to him dirty and broken. We don't get clean and go to God for acceptance. We go to God and he makes us clean and accepts us. Amen? He makes us alive together with Christ. This is the gospel message. This is what Christmas is all about. In his book, Christmas Playlist, I mentioned this last year when I I got to share during one of the Christmas Advent messages. Alistair Begg says this, Unless you understand the events of Easter, you'll never grasp the heart of Christmas. Unless you understand what happens at Easter, you're never going to understand and truly be able to grasp Christmas. The why to which Jesus came is at the heart of his birth. He came, why? To seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10 tells us. This is why his humanity is so important, because he came to die on the cross to atone for our sins. He came to die for you and for me. Thirdly, this prophecy Isaiah gives to us not only was revealed in a time of despair and reveals Messiah's humanity, but it also reveals his deity. This is the, to us a son is given. So every man is the son of their father and mother, right? Every son in this room has a mom or a dad. They're they're a son of someone. In Scripture, we see that as, as this is written out, and we see this term son in Scripture, it is followed by something. In Isaiah 65, 20, the sons of a hundred years, or excuse me, Isaiah 65, 20, those who are a hundred years old are called the sons of a hundred years. Matthew 13, 38, we see that wicked men are called the sons of wickedness or sons of the evil one. We see that those who are blessed are the ones that are called the sons of blessing. And of course, there are many genealogies all throughout Scripture where you can see who begot who begot who begot who, right? And we see the son of this person or the son of somebody else. The thing for us to recognize or note here is that the term son, without any additions, can mean none other than the son of God himself. This singular word of son infers that this is speaking of the son of God. God sent his one and only son. No human can can forgive the sin of all mankind. No one can do it. We're born into this world sinful people, and because of our sin, we deserve eternal separation from God. So how, how do you reconcile that? How do you, how do you fix that? How do, you, how do you get to God? No human can achieve that. But Jesus, the Messiah, being God, has the authority and the ability to do this. We needed somebody to come and represent us before God, and therefore that representative needs to have access to God. Does Jesus have access to God? Yes, he does. We don't have that. We don't have that access to God apart 
from Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross. So God, in his perfect wisdom and sovereignty, knew that the Savior needed to be 100% and fully human. He knew that he had to be 100% and fully God. Anybody want to tell me what that $10 word was? Teens, anybody remember? Starts with an H. I knew you'd get it. Way to go, Nicholas. Hypostatic union, all right? So if you didn't know that, that's, that's our big theological word for today, all right? Fully God and fully man. That is what we find here in the message of the gospel. That's what it takes, or excuse me, that's what takes place at the birth of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to us. He came for us. So what's the application? Here are some questions for us to consider for the application. We're going to be here till 1230, so just... Be fine with that. You laugh, but I might be somewhat serious. Here are some questions for us to wrestle with because of this prophecy. One, what will we do with the, with the wonderful counselor? What are we going to do with it? Right? Because when we hear the message of the gospel, when we see that this wonderful counselor has been given to us, everyone on this planet then has to answer this question. What are you going to do with them? Some are just going to reject. Some want absolutely nothing to do with this wonderful counselor. Some want absolutely nothing to do with this God-man, this Jesus, this guy that brings rules and regulations to ruin my life. Others accept this free gift. But then as life goes on, they get to a spot of, I know better. Been there? Have you ever said, God, I know better than you? The answer is yes. Each and every time you or I choose to sin, we are telling God, I know better than you. So maybe that's what you're doing with this Jesus. You're ignoring him. Let that not be so. Let us rather, the third option, let us receive him and obey him. After all, this is an out-of-this-world individual. This is God, and he is a counselor with full and ultimate authority, full and ultimate wisdom. Who else would I want to go to for advice? If you were to go to a counselor to ask for help and direction in life, all right, there's, again, three questions that you're going to need to wrestle with and ask, and the first one is this. Will you trust him? You go to a counselor because you're struggling with whatever it is you're struggling with in life and you just need some guidance and you go to this and you're paying this counselor for this advice. You need to ask yourselves, do I trust this person, right? Do you want advice from somebody you don't trust? Mm-mm. The same goes for Christ. Do you trust Jesus with your life, eternity? Do you trust Jesus with your family, your marriage? Do you trust Jesus with his word, some of you haven't come to the point in faith where you've said yes to Jesus. You haven't said, yes, I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to trust him completely. Let me warn you, if you don't trust him, then you won't trust the instructions that he gives. If you don't trust Jesus, you're not going to trust his word. Some of you may find yourself in that place right now. We all need to come to the place of trusting in order to receive God's gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins. 
gifts are given at Christmas. You probably are going to have been purchasing or will be purchasing and giving and receiving of gifts at Christmas, but we need to understand something about gift giving. We need to be able to complete the gift giving process. So you don't just buy the gift or purchase the gift, right? God purchased the gift. He paid his son for the gift, and now he is offering this gift to you and to me. But the process of gift giving is not complete until when? Until you receive it. Have you received that gift in your life? Number two, will you be honest with him? Sure, we can get to the counselor, but man, there's a whole other level when it comes to, wait a minute, I can trust him, but I don't think I want to tell him everything, right? I don't want to get to this level of vulnerability. I, I don't want to let this person know that I'm messed up or broken. Friend, if you're sitting in that chair, he already knows that, right? You're there for a reason, so just let it out so it can get fixed or get some help towards getting whatever that situation is rectified. You can talk and talk, but will not have a breakthrough until you're honest. Likewise with God, until we are honest about our sinful condition, until we recognize and accept our separation from God, we won't be able to move on. We won't be able to heal, to receive his forgiveness. We don't really like this idea of vulnerability. I know, I don't. Even with my wife, I don't like to always be vulnerable because I want to be the man of the house. I want her to see and respect me. <laughs> man, you want to have your wife love and respect you? Be vulnerable. We don't like being wrong. <laughs> Identify. Or even admitting that we're wrong. Do we? I don't like being wrong. I don't like admitting that I'm wrong, but it happens a lot. How would I, or excuse me, how would I come, how would I come to the wonderful counselor? The answer is humbly and honestly. We are to come to God and confess our sins. In the Greek, the word confess means to agree. So this kind of wrecked my, rocked my world a little bit. As I think growing up about confessing my sins, I feel like I need to inform God about my sins, right? And so that when you confess your sins, when you inform God of your sins, then he's like, oh, good to know. Now I'll forgive you of your sins. No, that's not what the word means, right? This word confesses means to agree. So when you agree about the sins that God already knows, then comes forgiveness. Be honest about yourself with God. Because he does already know your sinful state. We just need to come to a, a, a point of agreeing with that. God wants us and will receive us. Have you ever been on the playground and watched the teams being picked? Right? And those kids that are like waiting to get picked. And when they get picked, what happens to their face? Right? They get all excited and happy. I got picked. Right? Conversely, you know the kid that gets picked last. is just standing there. Good news, God has chosen you. He has picked you. He has a gift for you. Are you going to receive it? Simply put here, the message of Christmas or the gospel is God saying, I want you. 
So if you feel lonely right now, if you're feeling any kind of sense of, of despair, can I encourage you with the message of Scripture here that God wants you? God desires a relationship with you. The third question, and I'll just put it up there. I won't go into it in great detail because I don't have the time. But, but this last question is, will you do what he says? Right, And I think you can understand this one. What's the point of going to this counselor, listening to everything that he says uh, to you, if you're not going to listen? You ever been there? You ever done that? Parents? Good grief. How many times do you tell your children what to do, how to do it, whatever, and they just don't do it? Does it drive you crazy? And you're like, well, man, what am I here for? Right? Why do you need me if you're just going to do things your way? Why do we need God? Why do we need Jesus if we're just going to do it our way? If we're just going to look at the truths within Scripture and start ripping pages out of our Bible and forming our own version of the Bible that has all the things that we like about it and we discard all the things that we don't. My professor, I I don't know if I mentioned this before, But the very first thing he did in this class is we watched a video of him introducing the course of Old Testament. And he took a Bible, it was an old kind of tattered one, and he said, what would happen if I ripped the Old Testament out of your Bible? And he ripped his Bible in half. He just started ripping out the, the, the poetry and the, uh, the prophets and everything. And eventually the whole Old Testament he threw in the trash and he's just holding on to the New Testament. Like, does that, does that matter? Or are we so fixated on the New Testament we don't know what we have in the Old? Friend, let me tell you, the whole canon of Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. Amen? We need all of it. We need prophecies like Isaiah to give us the, the legs to stand on for the New Testament. Prophesying of Jesus. If we didn't have the Old Testament, then Jesus quite possibly could just be a, another prophet or something, Right? Because there's no prophecy that has been speaking to his birth. But this Jesus, this fulfillment of prophecy is who is here in perfect wisdom to give us counsel and guidance. And he does. And the question for us is what are we going to do with that? It's interesting to me that thousands of babies have become kings in this world. But only one king has become a baby. Romans 5.8 tells us that God loves us so much that in the midst of our sinfulness and rebellion, he sent Jesus. He came for us. He came for you. Why did he do this? He came because he wants you. He came because he wants to have a relationship with you. He came because that relationship has been broken by sin, and the only way that it can be repaired is for you to place your faith in the person, in the work, in the grace that Jesus Christ has provided by the shed blood of Jesus Christ for you and for me to atone for our sins. So I ask the question, do you know him? Good. Because if you know him, then I invite you to join me. If you do not know him today, then by the authority of Scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we find here a warning. 
Whoever therefore, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, this is the warning for those that do not know the Lord, for those that, that are struggling with other believers. If you have a problem with a brother or sister in Christ, this warning is for you too. If there is unconfessed sin in your heart, this warning is for you. Heed it, please. It says this, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we, so that we may not be condemned along with the world." Friend, if you don't know the Lord or there's sin in your life, unconfessed sin, I urge you on the authority of Scripture, the perfect wisdom that God has given to us, please refrain from taking these elements. Gentlemen, if you'd get yourselves prepped, that'd be fabulous. As the men do come, we start with the body that was broken for us. Jesus Christ came as a baby, but he didn't just come so that we could have Christmas and have trees and presents and all that fun stuff, but Jesus came so that he could die on a cross. Have you noticed these doors up here? When the ladies were putting this together, I don't know if there was forethought to this or not, but the young ladies that were here kind of pointed out the fact that, hey, that's cool. It's like Jesus is in the middle and has taken the sin of the whole world and made us clean. Isn't that sweet? That wouldn't happen without God's body being broken for you and for me. It says in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you stand with me as we sing together one closing song? His name is...
heaven, we thank you so much for loving us to the point of death, even death on a cross. We thank you for that wonderful message that your wonderful counselor came to provide, to be. And God, I pray that we would recognize and accept that truth, that wisdom that you have given to us. And that it will inform how we live our lives. May we leave this place this morning and go and be a blessing to those whom we come into contact with. But not just for the sake of a smile, but for the sake of seeing their heart, their spiritual and eternal soul leap for joy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our God, you reign.